Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you the second Sidra in the book of Genesis, the Sidra of Noah or Noach, the first Aliyah or the first of seven sections. The Sidra of Noah begins in chapter 6, verse 9, with the story of the flood and ends after chapter or at the end of chapter 11 with the birth of Abraham and his father's that is, Terach's failed attempt to ascend, to make Aliyah to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. The Sidra Noach begins with the word Toladot, the Toladot of Noach, and ends with Toladot, the Toladot of Terach. Now, if Toladot simply means the children's of, which many great commentators have said, then the fact that Noach and his children were introduced in the previous Sidra, some five or six verses prior to the first verse in Noah, then that's a little bit of a problem. Why reintroduce him and his kids if they've already been stated? Um, the problem is not insurmountable, and if you look at Ramban, you'll see various ways that he resolves it. The, simple, the simplest of being that the sins of uh, those B'nai Elohim, which are sandwiched in between the two introductions of Noah, uh, are the same as the sins of the flood, or according to some, the sins of the B'nai Elohim, whatever they were, caused or brought about the sins that we're about to uh, see uh, at the beginning of the flood. However, I prefer the translation for toladot that I offered before back in Genesis, that toladot implies an evolutionary change. And I'm not talking about a biologically evolutionary change, since the Torah is not a biology textbook. I'm talking about a spiritual change, an evolution in spirituality, which ultimately not only may not only affect the spiritual world, uh, but the physical world as well. Here, of course, we have a change for the worst. Because of the way people change their spirituality for the worst, it brought upon the destruction of the world. However, Noah's tolada, his evolutionary process, what he would uh, wind up creating new in the world is that his children will move on to rebuild the post-Diluvium world. And the Sidra of Noach will end off, of course, with Terach's actions, and Terach's actions are also a tolada. They also indicate a change, because with the birth of his son and the things that Terach did as well, the world will change spiritually as well as geopolitically as Abraham sets up shop in the land of Israel, in the land of Canaan. This understanding of toladot, um, I think it fits with the rest of verse 1 that we're about to read regarding the righteousness of Noah, because it's connected to the idea of how how his family became part of the post-flood evolution of how the world would come about, or how the world would change. Eile toldot Noach, Noach ish tzadik tamim haya bedorotav, et ha-Elohim hitalech Noach. These are the toladot, the transformative events, if you will, that were born out of Noah. Noah was righteous and flawless, a flawless man in his generation. Noah walked always with God. We could spend an entire lesson on this verse uh, alone. Uh, we could think about why God, whether God is being derogatory and that Noah was really only righteous in comparison to his own generation, but he was nothing compared to Abraham, or perhaps the opposite, that Noah, that God is complimenting Noah, that even though uh, he, he had a terrible uh, generation that he lived in, he remained righteous against all odds. We could spend a lot of time on the comparisons between Noah here and Eov. However, given the format of these sessions, I'll, I'll stay closer to the text. 
The word tamim means pure. Tzadik tamim hayah. It means not only was he righteous, but he was pure. He was without flaw. And like the word naki in the Torah, it is really a step higher than the word tzadik. Tzadik really means that he was right and justified in his actions. But that sometimes could be very subjective. Tamim and naki means he was completely without flaw by all objective standards. The word et, et Elohim, uh, can mean im, with, and that's exactly what it means here. Noah walked always with God. Note the hitpa'el form here used uh, in the word hitalech is usually reflexive, which means a verb that reflects back on itself, on the subject, like I cut my hair, hitaparti, or I showered myself, hitrachatsti. But here it's not reflexive, it is iterative, meaning it, he was always doing it. He was walking back and forth over and over. He always stayed at God's side. The sense is being a reliable servant to God's will. And the same verb, hitalech, is used uh, by Noach's great-grandfather Enoch, if you remember, who was Hanoch, who was taken by God after 365 years and of course Abraham will be commanded and will in fact walk always with God Hitalech. Vayoled Noach Shilosha Vanim Et Shem Et Cham Ve'et Yafet And Noah begat three sons Shem, Cham and Yafet The actual age order is not clear here as we will see later in the Sidra The Ramban seems to say and it seems to be uh, correct that Yafet is the oldest and, and Shem the second one. Others say Shame was the oldest. The question is, why are they listed out of order here, since what's clear is that Cham is the youngest? So it could be because Shame, as the predecessor of Abraham, who is the key player in the book, that is, we're Semites, so uh, Shame is clearly the progenitor of everything that's going to happen, uh, is put first because of its significance to all the stories. And Cham being born right after Shem, if Shem was the second one, is placed there. Um, there are other explanations as well, but uh, um, I think we'll go on to the next verse. And God decided that the earth had become corrupt or marred or ruined. The word lefnei Elohim, I think it doesn't mean so much just before God, but it means God decided that. When he looked at it, he decided that. Uh, continue on with the verse, and he decided that the earth had become full of violence. I think that the Torah is referring to the earth here as an entity, an entity full of sin, rather than focusing on the actual criminals themselves as doing sin, because what we have here is a reversal, uh, reversal of the creation process. That is, rather than the creation of Aretz, of the earth, as we saw in the Sidra of Genesis, we are now watching God's creation being undone. So the earth personified is being ripped to pieces herself. And God is watching this take place. And God saw the land, the earth, and behold, it was corrupted, it was ruined, because all flesh had corrupted, had deviated from its nature, from its norm on the earth. Again, the word earth is being used over and over because the focus is on the decreation, the uncreation of the earth. The general consensus of the sin that's being described here, ki hishchit kolab basar et darko, 
so the general consensus of traditional commentaries is that the ruination, the corruption, which is being spoken about here, is the intermingling of species, that animals of different species were procreating, or at least attempting to procreate. Again, this would mean that God's plan of pru or vu, be fruitful and be multiplied, that he commanded all living things to do in the Genesis story, is being intentionally and maliciously reversed, especially considering, uh, notice, if we consider the, the emphasis in chapter 1, that the vegetation and the animals all were being differentiated, differ, diff, I'm sorry, were being genetically differentiated, I hope that's the right word, it said each vegetation, each animal was, was, was limino. So here we have the exact opposite where all of that differentiation is being all intentionally and sinfully mixed together. This, of course, is a traditional midrashic interpretation and it assumes uh, a little bit fantastically that animals were in on the sin, that it's not only man were committing these kind of sins, but even the animals were trying to undo what God was uh, doing. Now, I think as with most, most midrashim, it need not be taken literally literally, that the animals themselves were somehow intelligent enough to, to attempt to undo God's work. But what the Medrash is trying to show correctly is that God's plan for creation, God's earth from the bottom up, from vegetation to animal to everything else, was being undone. So it's a metaphor. The undoing of genetics is a metaphor for the undoing of the genesis the original Genesis, and that's what the Midrash is trying to say. Of course, the Ramban avoids the issue of animals intentionally sinning by saying that here, kol basar, means not every living thing, including animals, but all people who are living, all man who is flesh. Uh, and they were deviating from the norm in various ways. But I think the Midrash really adds something to the understanding of the religious and moral crisis that God is witnessing. Hamas, by the way, which is filling the earth, is understood by the rabbis as stealing, uh, based on the use of that word in the book of Jonah. Uh, but what I think the rabbis are trying to say is it's not just stealing, but it's the breakdown of social norms, which start with stealing, which starts with dishonesty, with and the, the feeling that, uh, that one can uh, take other people's property at will. Um, what happens then is a breakdown of all interpersonal morality, and this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, more generically, Hamas is understood to mean um, evil, man's evil against other man, what's called Ben Adam L'chavero. And, and that what God is trying to say here is that as bad as sinning against God is, um, it doesn't create the construction of the world. However, if people commit evils against each other nonstop and the entire sense of morality is reversed, then it's not so much that the earth needs to be destroyed, but that the earth already is destroyed. The entire reason for the earth existing uh, is no longer. Of course, Noah will be saved since he deserves no such punishment being a righteous and pure person. So, chapter 6, verse 13 reads, Vayomer Elohim Noach, Kates kol basar balafanai, ki malaaharetz chamas mi penehem, vihinini mashchitam et haaretz. So, God said to Noah, I have decided to terminate all flesh because the earth has filled with violence because of them, meaning due to the sins of kol basar, whether that means man and animals or just man again is, is up to the way you interpret that. And behold, I will destroy them along with the land. Now, the word mashchitam et haaretz, uh, is very tough grammatically. Um, and there's a lot of commentary on it, but I think basically mashchitam in the hifiel is what's called a doubly, doubly transitive verb, meaning it has two direct objects, meaning I will cause them 
kol basar, to be destroyed at, with, or along with, the earth. I will destroy the earth, and I will destroy them, two direct objects. Some commentators like uh, Et Aris as from the earth, um, but as I said, I, I, you know, and, and perhaps the commentators are saying that because the earth really isn't destroyed, it will show up later, but as I said, what we see here is an undoing of the Genesis process. It is the earth itself which is being destroyed as well. And of course, when the earth comes back to life, it will come back to the life in the same way it did in Genesis. The waters will separate and the earth will be shown. But until that happens, the earth is de facto destroyed, even though it's hiding under the rising waters. This verse also highlights the idea of Mida Kenegan Mida very well. Now, Mida Kenegan Mida means that God's punishments are always perfectly symmetrical. They're a perfect action and reaction to the sin. So therefore, since the land... That, that is, the, the inhabitants of the land are nishchat, and the land itself is nishchat. Note the word shin, chet, tet. Uh, sorry, shin, chet, taf. It is corrupted or ruined. So too, God must mashchitam, shin, chet, taf. God must destroy and ruin the world and its inhabitants. Again, that's a sign of mida, kenegan, mida. The consequence of the, or the, the punishment matches the sin. So God says to um, uh, to Noach, make for yourselves, for your own sake, an ark of gopher wood. Make the ark with compartments and coat it inside and outside with pitch. Note the beautiful use of a cognate dative. That's a very fancy way of saying that the verb... V'chaparta matches the indirect object. Bakofer. V'chaparta bakofer. He will pitch it with pitch. Although the word, the verb pitch isn't good in English, so I said, you know, to, to line it or to code it with pitch. Using a cognate, uh, making the verb match the object, either direct or indirect, is a very effective form which emphasizes the word and its idea. More often it's actually not cognate uh, dative, but it's a cognate accusative, which means the verb matches the direct object, such as the word vayishritsu sheretz, and vayivchatu pachad, he feared the fear. Uh, the word kofer is being emphasized here, using this cognate form, uh, because it doesn't just mean simply to pitch or to coat with pitch, but it means to atone for something, to pay off a moral debt. L'chaperal something means to atone or to even be forgiven for something. And the etymology of the idea is very clear. That is, rather than just taking pitch and coating up the holes of a boat to make sure it is watertight, sin creates holes in one's soul, and repentance works like pitch to close up those holes, to fill up the cracks, and to restore the white water tightness of the spiritual ship of the soul. So the Torah here is not just giving us a lesson in shipbuilding, but it's giving us a religious lesson as well. And I suspect in the same vein that there's more to the instruction of creating the Ark and Kinim meaning compartments, um, I, I suspect that there's a spiritual double meaning, but I, I don't know what that double meaning is. And this is how you shall make her 300 amot, say about 100, 450 feet on amas, figure about a foot and a half, uh, the length of an ark, 50 amot is her width, and 30 amot is her height. Tzoar ta'asela teva ve'alama t'chalena milmala u'fetach ha'teva b'tzida tasim tachtiim shniim u'shlishim ta'aseha. 
make a tsohar, I'll translate that in a second, for the ark and bring it bring it to a close at one ama from the top and set a door for the ark on its side and make a second and third under level. Rashi explains that the top level is for humans, the second level is for animals, and the third level is for waste. It is not clear what the word sohar means exactly, very difficult word, but the rabbis, Rashi quotes rabbinic literature, that suggests that either it's a glowing stone, uh, some kind of phosphorescent crystal, or a window with both being for the same purpose, that is for lighting. I think Rashi prefers the idea that it's a ladder because he ties it to the next part of the verse, meaning that the window should itself narrow down as it gets to the top to one ama, I guess some kind of triangular uh, window of sorts. Um, Interestingly, the oldest translation of the Torah known to us, the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation written in 250 BCE for the Jews in Greek-speaking Egypt, uh, understands the word sar not not as a noun, but as a verb and adverb, meaning it it, it means... um, Sohar uh, Tasem means make the sides of the ark narrow down until it reaches one ama wide, uh, a one ama wide flat roof on the top. So it was sort of like an angular sides. They were 50 ama wide, but as they went closer and closer to the top, they would come to an angle and they would stop when they were one ama away from each other. And then at the very top of the ship, running the entire le- length, of the ship would be a flat one ama wide roof. So according to the Septuagint, it's not about lining at all, but it's actually about the shape of the walls. Be it as it may. God now explains why no one needs to do all this as if we couldn't figure out what's coming already. Because behold, I am bringing a cataclysm of water that is, a flood, on the earth to destroy from under all the skies, meaning all over the earth, all flesh that breathes life, everything in the earth will perish. Note that the word mabul is separate from the word mayim. So most people assume mabul means a flood, a water flood, but that's not really true. A mabul is a general term, and in this case the mabul is coming by way of mayim, by way of water. So there are various etymologies of mabul which are suggested by the various commentaries, but I actually like the Greek translation that I mentioned, the Greek translation from 250 BCE. It translates mabul as kataklusmos, or a cataclysm, and I, I think that carries like the power, the totality of the events that we're about to witness. But with you I will establish my covenant, that is opposed to everybody else who's going to die, with you I will establish my covenant, and you will come into the ark with you, your sons, and your wife, and your wife's sons. It's not clear what the word brit means here, that is, it means covenant, but what is it referring to? What, what, what covenant is it referring to? It's not even clear what it means in this context, what is the covenant? Uh, so perhaps it means specifically the rainbow, which God will make after the flood, and that was the brit or the oat which was created, uh, that he would never bring another cataclysm with water. Perhaps the brit is that God will keep the people from killing him as Noah builds his ark, especially as Noah's unstated job was to 
prophesize prophecy of uh, doom to the entire world. Uh, those guys on the street corners that say uh, the end of the world is nigh, they, they tend not to be very popular uh, people to say the least. Ramban offers a Kabbalistic interpretation uh, that the word Brit is connected to the word Bria or creation, such as Bereshit Bara. And I think this fits nicely into the idea that I stated before, that we're witnessing a reversal of the Genesis, Genesis process to be followed by a new Genesis with essentially Noah as the new Adam. The rabbis comment that the... Uh, Torah lists Noah and his sons first, and then Noah's wife, and then Noah's children's wives, uh, to indicate that procreation, that sex was forbidden on the ark, um, because one cannot enjoy that kind of pleasure and indulge in that kind of creative process while the rest of the world was suffering and dying out. And we'll see later that when they actually come off the ark, it says Noah, his wife, his children, his children's wife, so it seems to put them back in order where the women are right next to the men, uh, indicating that uh, puravu, that uh, that uh, procreation is now re-admit, re, you know, re-permitted. And from all life, from all flesh, two of each bring into the ark to survive with you. They should be male and female. Now, it's not clear why there's a repetition here. And, and in fact, what the difference is between kol hachai and kol basar. So Rashi says if kol basar covers all physical creatures, kol hachai must mean quasi-spiritual creatures or non-physical creatures. So he says these are the demons, the shedim. And this is clear, but however, this is clearly not the form to go into the issue of Shadim and why they would need a boat to survive, so I'll just avoid that interpretation. Perhaps the simple interpretation is um, that uh, bring all of those who have a strong life in them, uh, and that's why Noah is also told to bring Zachar Unikeva, because he's being told that your goal is to shepherd all of these animals into Lahachayot, to not just to live, but to survive, to survive out the cataclysm. And therefore, God needs to emphasize this idea that the whole goal of what's going on here is to sustain life, to shepherd in a new genesis. And now God goes from the generalities of which life to detail the forms which will be saved. Uh, of course, what's left out here is the remis from the waters, the fish and the, the creepy crawlies, the crustaceans and whatnot. That's because they, they wouldn't have a problem surviving the flood. But getting back to the verse, from birds of every kind and cattle of every kind, which obviously includes uh, wild animals, even though they are not mentioned here, and creepy crawlies of every kind, let them all come to you so that, that, so that they will survive. Once again, we have the word liminehu, which not only means, um, as I translated, bring cattle of every kind, but bring each according to his own kind. And what that means, uh, there are two levels of meaning here. First of all, it, it, it again recalls the words of Genesis, that each species was differentiated, trying to say that you, what you're going through, Noah, God is saying to him, is a brand new Genesis process. But the rabbis also point out that, again, if you remember from above, they, they sort of indicate metaphorically that the creatures themselves were involved in, in the sin and that they tried to deviate from the norm of uh, uh, and do interspecial uh, uh, procreation. And this follows that idea that essentially um, the only ones that Noah could save were the ones that were still limminehu, the ones that did not sin and the ones that stayed to their own kinds. 
ואתה קחך מכל מאכל אשר ייאכל ואספת אליך והיה לך ולהם לאוכלה. And you must take for your own sake every type of food that can be eaten, which means it's not only the animals, not only a zoo, which he's doing, but a, um, I forget what that's called, like a greenhouse, or there's a better word for that, uh, uh, where essentially you gather together all the vegetations to survive. And, and gather it to you, and it will be for you and for them, that is, for the animals to eat. Vayas noach Elohim kenasa. Really, the better way to read that pasuk is Vayas Noach Kechol Asher Tivauto Elohim Kenasa. Noach did it; everything God had commanded, he did. I.e., he did it as instructed.